Welcome to KPOV's Critical Conversations podcast, dedicated to featuring unique perspectives, challenging mundane thought, and questioning the norm. Listen at kpov.org, on YouTube, or on your favorite podcast app. First of all, Governor Kotick, thank you so much for your time this morning. I so appreciate it. You're welcome, Louise. Good to see you. When I met you at the Central Oregon Veterans Ranch and I invited you on The Point, you agreed immediately, saying that you love community radio. What is it about community radio that appeals to you? Well, I think radio, well, first of all, thank you for having me. And sure. I appreciate the fact that you are committed to the community and doing and doing a, ra- a regular radio show. I, I just think radio reaches different folks, right? I, I, I grew up, my mom always had the radio on at breakfast. And, you know, the news, the music, and it's just an opportunity to learn while you're doing other things. Now, I think we're missing out when people drive now because a lot too many people get satellite and they just listen to music and they're missing out on news and commentary and things like that. So I just believe in radio as a great way to reach people and share information. So just happy you, to be here. You're missing out unless, of course, you listen to KPOV. You are Next cur- time I'm in Central Oregon, I'll have to make sure we put on the radio. It's a deal. So you are currently in the midst of a year-long One Oregon Listening Tour. First of all, what is the purpose of this tour? To listen to Oregonians. It's as simple as that. I, I made the commitment after the election because I heard during the campaign last year that we have a lot of Oregonians that don't feel heard. They don't feel part of the conversation. And I think the best way to do that is to get into people's community sit down, break bread, listen to each other, hear their stories. And it it will make me, and it has already made me a better governor because I have a a broader sense of understanding of what's happening around the state. So what have you learned from your travels that maybe you weren't aware of previously? That's a good question. Well, just to catch people up, I don't assume everybody knows this, but there are 36 counties in the beautiful state. And we have visited 29. And The things I have learned, I've been so impressed with the willingness of Oregonians to share, to be vulnerable, to just be really honest about what they're seeing, both the ups and downs, right? It's not all bad. It's not all like we need this or that. It's mostly like we're doing these things. This would be helpful if we could do X, Y, and Z. So it's very focused on problem solving. I'm seeing a lot of similar issues being priorities for communities around the state housing, healthcare, had a lot of conversations about childcare. So, and there's always a bit of a nuance. Some communities are a little different, but that kind of commonality of issues is helpful for me because I think if we can all agree on some really basic things that need to be prioritized, it just makes it easier to make progress. So you recently visited Central Oregon on your listening tour. What did you learn from the folks in Deschutes County? Are we just sticking to Deschutes County? I mean, you know, Central Oregon's bigger than Deschutes County, but I, I'm happy to just talk about Deschutes County. Well, let's talk about <laughs> Central Oregon in general. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, learned a lot. The very first stop when we were in Central Oregon was in Jefferson County, and we met with the Macy family at Macy Farms. They grow carrot seed. I honestly wanted to visit because with them because I don't know anything about carrot seed farm, nothing. And we produce a lot of carrot seed in Jefferson County. More than half the carrot seed produced in the world comes from Jefferson County. Really? So it was just fascinating to understand what it takes to grow carrot seed and to also learn that Central Oregon, all the counties have been dealing with drought issues. And at one time, we used to produce 75% of the carrot seed in the world in Jefferson County. 
it's now down to about 55% because I can't do it because of the water issues. So that was sobering to hear that. I spent, as I said, you know, we started off in Culver. We spent some time in Madras, Prineville, Redmond, um, Sisters. I've spent a lot of time in Bend in, in the last year and a half. So in the Central Oregon trip, we wanted to make sure we kind of, not that I don't love Bend, but try to spend time outside of Bend. And obviously visited with folks at the Central Oregon uh, Veterans Ranch, which was amazing. I think what I saw was there's a real interest in trying to continue to diversify the economy in Central Oregon, which I think is going to be important, especially as we're dealing with issues around water. It was all really wonderful. I had dinner at Representative Piggy Bruce Iverson's ranch in Prineville. I know she is stepping down as the House Republican leader. I've enjoyed working with her. It was a wonderful dinner. We spent a lot of time in Redmond. Very impressed with the vitality of Redmond. I, I'll be honest, I had spent a lot of time in Redmond before. We went to the farmer's market in beautiful city hall. And you chose to stay in Redmond as opposed to Bend. How come? I think it's about sending the message that Deschutes County is more than just Bend. And I think there's a big fo- focus, particularly on the in the valley, on the other side of the mountains, that the Shoots County is really just about Bend, but it's so much more than that. And again, like I said, I hadn't spent much time in Redmond, and there's just a lot going on there. There is. How did your conversations in Central Oregon differ from those that you've had in other parts of the state? Well, to be honest, I think the the they were similar in the willingness for people to like dig into details. I mean, there's always some, there's no um, Veterans Ranch in other parts of the state. So that was a very unique visit. The conversations about housing, very similar to around the rest of the state. Um, and it's and I think people need to know it's not just about homelessness. Well, I think that is the biggest symptom of our housing issues. The emphasis on workforce housing is a very big deal. Huge for Central Oregon, right? And as like a lot of other places, particularly acute because it is so expensive to live in bed, but we need people to work in bed, right? And so then you see this kind of outgrowth of additional housing and people traveling much further to go to work and what that means for transportation. Housing affects everything that goes on in our lives. And um, we talk about housing development a lot. How can we streamline and make that easier for places? So I know people are very worried about housing. The cost of housing is just not affordable for folks. It's crazy. I agree. So since your inauguration as governor on January 9th, how have your priorities evolved based on this listening tour and your experiences as governor? One of the commitments I made from day one was to have a focus on three particular areas. And and the reason I chose that was, one, I think they're priorities for most Oregonians. And two, there's a lot that gets thrown at you as governor. And if you don't have a priority or a set of priorities, it's very easy to get distracted. So housing and homelessness on day one, we issued emergency orders. We've been very focused on behavioral health, both mental health and addiction. And then what's happening for our youngest from early childcare issues to early learning and early literacy. It's been very important to prioritize those things. What I have learned on the tour is just a deeper understanding of the regional and local differences that come along with that. And that's important because when we're sitting down and talking about, for example, distribution of dollars for shelters and rehousing people who are experiencing homelessness, I just have a deeper understanding of communities. You know, some folks don't need really giant shelters, but they need support, right? They need a certain level of support. When you look at Central Oregon, you're doing a really great job in standing up what I would say traditional shelters. And you're really trying to move into those managed villages because you're trying to get folks who are living out in the hinterlands into 
safer places where they can get services. So when I hear those stories when I'm in Central Oregon, it's like, how are the choices that we're making at the state help a community like a Redmond or a Lapine or Sisters actually meet their needs? So I asked, I think I asked different questions. When you're on the ground, you can see things like, let's talk about distance to services. Let's talk about, do you have the right provider? It's just, you know, it's just, you just think about things differently after you've been on the road and seen things firsthand on what people are trying to do. Believe it or not, there are some areas in Oregon that are pretty right-wing conservative. As an open lesbian, one of only two lesbian governors in the country, how have you been received in these areas as you travel the state on your tour? I, the first lady and I believe um, and have been so appreciative of the welcome we've received. It's been warm. People have been open to having conversations. One of the things that we have focused on, and the first lady in most cases goes on these trips with me because she's a social worker. She particularly wants to hear some of the behavioral health and housing conversations. You know, we've broken bread with, I would assume, very conservative people who probably didn't vote for me. That's okay. We talk about our families. We talk about our backgrounds. We talk about what it's like to just be an Oregonian. And I think across the board, everyone's been very welcoming. At the end of the day, Oregonians, when you're sitting down face to face, we want we want to treat our neighbors well. Sure, there are going to be people who I'm um, never going to agree with my political perspective. I'm not going to agree with theirs, but that doesn't mean we can't work together. That's awesome. Speaking of your wife of 19 years, Amy, a social worker, as a mental health worker, what perspective has she provided you on the state of mental health in the state as you tour around? The first lady's perspective is invaluable. She has really strong understanding of what it means for the workforce. As someone who did three years out in the field in Portland, part of it during the pandemic, trying to serve individuals with very serious mental illness, really focusing on the workforce, making sure that we're taking care of the people who are doing the job is really important. She asks really hard questions about why is the system not working? You know, we have resources, but why are they not getting to the places they need to get to? She's asked good questions with all the providers when we sit down with some of the provider roundtables. Uh, about what's going on. I, I think Oregonians should know we have an asset in the First Lady because she she really understands what it means to provide services. And that's that's a really helpful subject matter expertise to have in, in this office. Sadly, your approval rating stands at only 45%, the lowest among all governors. As reported by the Oregonian last June, your thoughts as to why? Well, first of all, I think those polls are really helpful as kind of snapshots of where people are at a certain certain time in their in their service. I think Oregonians are still getting to know me. The the campaign is over. We had a very, as you know, uh, a very competitive three way race last year, and it's up to me to make sure every Oregonian gets to know me a little better. And we're still in the first nine months of the job. We're still working on that. Then I think the numbers went up slightly in the second poll. So I'll they did. Those, you know, they did. I'll take that as progress. Okay. And it's just, I think the more I can communicate and people understand that I'm working on their behalf, I think those numbers will improve. At the end of the day, I'm just here to do a good job for people. And I hope people will, will get, get the information that that is what is happening over time. Let's circle back to homelessness. One of your top priorities, you campaigned on the issue and boy, you hit the ground running. On your first full day in office, you signed three executive orders aimed at tackling the state's housing and homelessness crisis, declaring a homelessness state of emergency, setting an ambitious state target to increase home construction, and directing the state agencies to prioritize reducing and preventing homelessness in all areas of the state. Obviously, this issue can't be solved in a few months, but bring us up to speed on the progress that's been made so far. 
I think we've made a good start. It was important for me to issue those executive orders on day one. We're in a crisis situation. No one should be living on the streets. We have far too many people living outside. If if we were you know, responding to a natural disaster, we'd have a sense of urgency and emergency that I want to bring to this discussion. So we were successful getting the legislature to pass a bill early in this legislative, the past legislative session to move hundreds of millions of dollars out to communities across the state. And we have been continuing to work with those communities. It's about more shelter capacity. We're, we're standing up 600 new shelter beds by the end of the year. It's about keeping people from becoming unhoused in the first place. So that is increased efforts at providing rental assistance. And it's about rehousing individuals who have found some stability in some transitional shelter getting into permanent housing. So I think what it's important for Oregonians to know is you have to do all of this to see progress on our streets. I've been super impressed by the work that Central Oregon is doing. They had put in a very strong proposal right at the beginning of my administration. They are, I think, very much on track to hit their targets. And because of their good work, I was able to reallocate some money from Multnomah County to go out to the Central Oregon Intergovernmental Council. I think it was about $850,000 to continue to do the good work that they're doing. And I just heard the other day that Central Oregon received one of the only grants in the country to work on helping young people who are unhoused. They did 16 grants across the country. This is the one of 16. I think it was, I'm looking at my notes, $950,000. So that is going to the COIC, the Central Oregon uh, Intergovernmental Council, to work on strengthening the system for young people. Because think about it. We shouldn't have anybody, you know, under the age of 22 living on the streets. And we have a big responsibility at the state because oftentimes, unfortunately, these are individuals coming out of foster care who don't have the support network that a lot of us were blessed with. And they're hitting the streets because they don't have another plan. And we can do better than that. You recently retracted $2.6 million from Multnomah County, as you said, eight fifty of which will be distributed to Central Oregon. Why were the funds taken away from Multnomah County? Well, one of the things that we've, we've been monitoring on a regular basis, how these emergency areas are performing and just making sure that the dollars are going to the places that are, are hitting their outcomes. In the case of Multnomah County, I think that they're going to get to the outcomes that we ask them. And they also have more resources than other parts of the state because they have a local, local bond measure. They had some unanticipated American Rescue Plan dollars coming to the county that they had planned for. So I put all those things together and said, it's September. We have an opportunity to help other communities do a little bit more. They have money. Let's move some money around. And I think what people need to know is I am very hands-on. I have conversations weekly. Where are we on our numbers? Who's doing well? How can we do better? Because that's the type of thing you do in an emergency. You track the money, making sure it goes to the right places so we can hit the outcomes that we all need to see. So you mentioned making sure that the funds hit the right places. How will the use of these funds be monitored? Well, we are going to be having a online dashboard of data that people will be able to see. And places like Lane County have already put their own data. They've put up their own online data of how they're doing. So showing that we're on target to get the shelter beds and rehouse individuals. So we're trying to really quantify that. And I just want to say, it is not the only thing that is happening. Too. This is specific to the emergency order I issued, plus the money coming from the state. I never want to forget that there are individuals in every community around the state doing great work every day without state money. They were doing it before. There's county money, there's local money, it's private money. Everybody is pitching in 
because we see the just the pain on the streets, right? So I, I'm here to be a partner. I don't think it's all about the state doing the work, but we are a bigger partner now because of the emergency orders and this extra money. So when will the funding for operations of the shelters being built with the emergency funding be made available from the state? Well, the money that the legislature approved and that I, the bill I signed back in the spring, it does provide operating dollars through the beginning of next year. But then we were, thankfully, the legislature finished their session. Um, there were some challenges, but they did pass a, a larger budget bill that will provide operating dollars for all these new shelters through the entire two-year budget that we have. But we're not done. I expect we have a session coming up in February. We are hearing from communities that they are concerned about resources, some of which money that they had in the pandemic is running out because it was one-time money. So we will be talking with legislators for February about additional resources for our shelter providers. So changing direction slightly, how seriously is the current political polarization hobbling Oregon government ability to operate? And how is it directly affecting your ability to achieve your goals? I think anytime people's confidence in their government is undermined. It's difficult to make progress. So again, back to the one of the reasons for the One Oregon Listening Tour, it's about building relationships and building confidence in each other. Uh, I've met a lot of mayors, county commissioners on the One Oregon Tour. Look, we're in this together and we all have to be rowing in the same direction. I do believe it does make it hard. So I'm very much focused at, on the state level of providing strong customer service, making sure people understand that their perspectives are welcome. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, during the legislative session, one of the most highlighted bills was the one about whether or not we were going to allow folks to pump their gas. And well, we'd done it in some more frontier areas already that people had those options. But this was a way to say, look, you don't have to in certain areas, but you should have the option to do that. And I wasn't sure what the right choice was there. So I said to Oregonians, let me know what you think. I had over 5,000 emails, phone calls, people weighed in, they really appreciated. Um, at the end of the day, the folks who wanted me to sign it were really the, the the growing majority. And I listened to all sides. One of the things I want to be sure with that bill, though, is even though I signed it, is making sure that if you cannot get out of your vehicle to pump your own gas, that there is somebody there for you. Because I am worried about folks who might be older, can't get out for a variety of reasons. So I'm going to hold those stations accountable that they need to make sure people can get the help if they need it. But overall, it's like, look, people wanted to get passed. We passed it. And I signed it. That's awesome. That's been a hot topic in Oregon for years. Back to political divides. Earlier this year, 10 Oregon Republican senators staged a six-week walkout, the longest in state history. Republicans walked out in 2019, 2020, and 2021, and then again this year. How did you work to get these senators back on the job, what they were elected to do, and what can be done to ensure this doesn't happen in the future? Yeah, one of the things that I did during the session as governor was to make sure we could continue to have open dialogue to get everybody back. Look, I'm I'm not the 91st legislator. I'm the governor. My job was to make sure people were talking to each other. I am glad that by the end, people came back, got the work done. I was pretty stressed out about it because it, if, it would have affected the state if they couldn't get the budgets done in particular. I also think people should show up for work. And, you know, we're seeing this in D.C. with the whole, like, you know, budget meltdown that's happening. We have to be committed to governing well together. And I'm not, you know, I don't want to debate why people walked out. I think people should show up for work. I think that the court will eventually side with where voters were, which was, 
you decide to be a legislator, you got to show up. But I'm just really glad they got the session done. Makes sense to me. So you sat down with Dick Hughes, who writes the Capital Chatter for an interview recently. He did a super job of summarizing your challenges since your January 9th inauguration. So I'm just going to steal it. Homelessness everywhere, contaminated groundwater in Umatilla County, the OLCC fiasco, selection of a new Secretary of State to replace disgraced fellow Democrat Shemaya Fagan, continual bad news emanating out of Portland, and a drought so severe that it affects 3.6 million Oregonians, not to mention wildfires and the said walkout. What lessons have you learned from all these challenges? This is a team sport, right? You have to depend and count on and have confidence in the people that work with you. And that also means the people on the ground, these local communities, right? Again, going back to partnership and teamwork, it's really critical. There's no way as governor that you can know everything that's going on all the time. I knew this would be a challenging job. I knew it would be interesting. And even after 15 years in the Oregon legislature, pretty good understanding of how state government works. But I am continually like, wow, okay, that's a new topic. I'm like, okay, what do we do in there? So I just want to say thanks to all the public servants, both the state and local level, who are there every single day working hard. We do this together. And I feel like I'm I make the final decisions often, but I'm that chief cheerleader. I'm there to like hear their concerns and and make sure they get done. I could use a few less, you know, uh, surprises because, (laughs) you know, it takes you away from doing the day-to-day work. But, you know, I feel like I'm well supported to whatever comes up. We will, we will deal with it. We just have to, that's the job. So in the remaining few minutes of the show, what message would you like to leave our listener family with? Well, first of all, thank you, Louise, for the time. Uh, I oh, wanna, thank you. This is really great. Look forward to coming back. I want to thank Oregonians for not losing hope. I know things can be difficult at times. I want to thank folks for stepping up to do things in their communities. When people see problems, they're just trying to solve them. And it's really an honor to have this job. We have a beautiful state. We have amazing people. Like any other place, there are things we have to fix. But as long as we stay hopeful and work together, I we will be successful. And I've just appreciated visiting every community that I've been to so far and can't wait to see the rest of the counties. I will say this about Central Oregon. You got great things going on. Thank you for all working so hard to make it a great place to live. Well, thank you very much, Governor Kotick. And uh, stay strong. Thank you, Louise. <laughs> oh, I'll make sure I sleep well. There you oh, go. Oh, good. And take your vitamins. <laughs> take my vitamins. Thank you for listening to KPOV's Critical Conversations podcast. To hear weekly interviews on important topics, please visit kpov.org slash critical conversations and follow KPOV High Desert Community Radio on Facebook, YouTube, and your favorite podcast app.